Welcome back to the best college football pick'em pod in the land. It's time for a pick'em rewind, and we are coming to you from bellyupsports.com. He is Alan Denton. I am Thomas Black. Alan, how are you doing, sir? Hey, man. I'm great. Had a had a restful weekend in the woods a little bit last weekend and catching some football and everything, so just excited to be back at it and ready to roll and, and look at the receipts from last week. Hey, man, the receipts came in strong, especially for you. You're coming off a strong week. In the rapid recap, let's look at the wins and losses. Alan, you're coming off a week in which you gained 45 points, going a strong, strong 8-2 and two in your pick, something that we have not said very often this season in 2021 college football. It just does not come around very often. But, Alan, the wins were Alabama at a 10, UTSA at a 9, Ohio State at an 8, Ole Miss at a six, Oregon at a five, Texas A&M at a four, Purdue at a two, and North Carolina at a one. The only losses were Baylor at a seven and West Virginia at a three. Alan, you moved from a tie for 11th up to a tie for ninth. You've got 375 points. And hey, you're pretty far back now off the lead. Though you moved up in the standings, you were 26 points back. Now you're 29 points back. But dude, after an eight and two week and 45 points on the board, you've got to be feeling pretty good about uh, your week 10 slate and uh, moving into week 11 here coming up next. Yeah, I'm back in the top 10. You know, uh, I can live with that. What are you going to do? Like, you just got to tip your hat to Bruce for having two weeks in a row at the top of the leaderboard um, and just really fully asserting himself and pulling away from everybody, not just me, but from everyone. And so I see myself absolutely 110% in play for that number two and three spot. I think I'm like 11 off from that. So that is fully in play for me. And that's really where my thought process is at this point is with with Bruce as far ahead as he is, he's almost going to have to like just really, really tank (laughs) in order for me to get back in it with him. Definitely so, Alan. I came off a reasonably good week, not quite as good as you and some of the other folks up at the top of the standings, but I came away with a decent week myself. I had 42 points, went 7-3 and in my picks. The wins were Alabama at a 10, Ole Miss at a 9, Oregon at a 7, Ohio State at a 6, Oklahoma State at a 5, North Carolina at a 4, and UTSA at a 1. The losses were Baylor at an 8, Michigan State at a 3, and Auburn at a 2. I paid a little bit of a price because there were so many people up at the top of the standings playing well. That is because I dropped from a tie for 4th into 6th place. I have 382 points on the season, and I'm 22 points off the lead coming off a week in which I was 16 points off the lead. So I'm kind of the same as you, Alan, man. I, I feel pretty good because I feel like my pick slate lined up pretty well. I don't have many regrets about where I place teams, but at the same time, uh, I have found myself having a greater and greater distance between me and our leader, Bruce, now 22 points back. I'm with you. I'm, I'm fully in contention to finish in the top three, but man, at this point with only four weeks to go, I'm going to have to average gaining five and a half points per week over the final four weeks in order just to tie our leader at this point outside of a big, big changeover in point totals in one individual week. I just don't think that's probably all that likely. 
Yeah, if we're honest about it ourselves, that's that's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce is the leader of the pack, as we've just mentioned. He has 404 points on the season. He has a 12-point lead over second place right now, and he leads the pack for a performance package 4.0 from Manscaped and a $100 Visa gift card. Man, he has been crushing it. You mentioned back-to-back weeks in which he's had the top score in the entire group. So really, he's been in a favorable position, I don't know, for the last three or four weeks, you could say it the very least, but in the last two, not only is he in first place, but he's been distancing from the pack. It's been really impressive. Yeah, it has. I think he's ranked like in the top 250 in in all of this contest, which is remarkable. I don't know that I've ever seen somebody that high in our group this late in the year. Yeah, it's really impressive this late in the year. Like you say, he is in the top 250, and I like to tack on in the world, you know, 250 yeah. in the world. That's where he ranks right now. Like you're indicating, it's hard to rank that high this far into the season. We've seen a couple of people rank up that high partway through the season. I myself, at one point, I was up in the top 500 partway through a weekend, but then the end of the weekend didn't go well, and I dropped out of that spot quickly. But man, it's fun to see some people continue up that high, and hopefully Bruce can finish up the last few weeks strong to stay away from the competition, but also just to see how high he can get. It'll be a lot of fun if he can stay up there. No doubt. All right, Alan, let's move into the Pick'em Rewind portion where we talk about everything that went down over the weekend. There's a lot of games to talk about that were very, very intriguing. I'll let you go ahead and get us started off. Where would you like to talk about a game first and what we saw go down in Week 10? You want to talk about those those two top 10 upsets? I mean, that that's kind of the, the, the talk of the town in many ways. Um, we'll, we'll at least start with that North Carolina Wake Forest game. Just a just a wild, wild game back and forth for the most part. I thought in, in many ways that um, Wake Forest was pulling away. At, at one point, they got it up to their lead to 48 to 34 heading into the fourth quarter. And North Carolina just found a way to essentially score 24 unanswered points coming back to, to win that game 58 to 55. Um, Wake Forest got a, a last kind of minute touchdown to make it as close as it was. But Ty Chandler, the Tennessee transfer, just was remarkable. 22 carries, 213 yards, and four touchdowns. This wasn't a Sam Howell game. This was a – they were just able to run the football – and, um, yeah, giving Wake Forest the, their first loss of the year. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned that the running back with Ty Chandler did an awesome job. On the other side, really, Sam Hartman threw some big-time passes, put this team in a position to really lead and look like they were going to win this game. But at the same time, he was a little bit underwhelming. You know, he completed yeah. less than 50% of his passes, 25 of 51. It still was for 398 yards, you know, nearly 400. And he threw for five touchdowns, but he also threw a couple of picks in there. And man, North Carolina just got the breaks they needed to be able to come away with a win. It benefited both of us as we were both on the Tar Heels. It wasn't an upset. Keep that in mind, even though Wake Forest had the top 10 ranking, as you mentioned, Alan. Uh, but this was not an upset as the Tar Heels were favored in this game. Uh, but man, it took some guts to go with a four and four team even in a favored spot on their home field uh, because you know I I could see honestly this game going either way all week leading up to it yeah uh, same and that's the reason I had it at a one is I I 
I thought North Carolina would end up winning. Um, and, and honestly, I would, I think I would have gone that way, even if Wake Forest had have been favored. Um, I, I just didn't trust Wake Forest's defense. I, I thought over the course of the year, at some point, that defense would get them beat. And it, I, I will, to their credit, it, it came about because Sam Hartman, like you talked about, was just a little bit off, 25 of 51, and two interceptions. I mean, to their credit, they still score or still put up 615 yards, Wake Forest did, and scored 55 points. But it just wasn't enough because their defense is just atrocious. Yeah, it's something that we've learned all throughout the season. We've talked about that a number of times here on the podcast. We knew at some point it was going to come back to catch them, right? Yep. I, I mean, essentially, it's caught them a bunch of times because they've given them a, a bunch of points and come very close to losing multiple times this year. But this is the finally the one that got them. And uh, and before this thing's done, before the season's done, I think it could possibly you know rear its ugly head again just because that defense is so susceptible to big plays. It's just they have the capability offensively to kind of outdo opponents as long as they're not playing top-tier competition most of the time. Uh, but we figured at some point it was going to catch up. Yeah, I, I agree. From one top 10 upset to another, Alan, one that we were on different sides on, you called for the upset in your pick'em slate. You didn't call it on the podcast, but you got credit for it anyway, taking Purdue at a two. I ended up not quite going there, but I had Michigan State low in value as well. Uh, to just understanding that an upset was possible in this game. I had the Spartans at a three, but man, this was Purdue's game all along. Aiden O'Connell was phenomenal, throwing for over 500 yards and three touchdowns. And man, David Bell, the wide receiver for the Boilermakers, was unstoppable again. 11 catches, 217 yards and a touchdown. But man, such an impressive performance from Purdue. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Purdue is a has turned out to be a really good team this year. The reason I didn't put it on the podcast is, and the reason I put it at a two is I wasn't all that confident in it, to be honest with you. I, I started leaning this way later on in the week as you know, I, I looked at kind of some of the numbers and as I considered the fact that Michigan State was coming off a one, a fluke win against Michigan. It, they really should not have won that game. And secondly, um, it was a highly, highly emotional win. And those two things, when you play a really good team on the road the next week, typically ends up getting you beat. And so uh, the only thing that, that I really wasn't sure on is whether or not Aiden O'Connell would play as well as he did. And he had a remarkable game going 40 of 54 for 536 and three touchdowns. He's the difference maker. And quite frankly, I wasn't sure that he would be. And that was that was why for a good portion of the week, I struggled with this one. I wanted to pick Purdue, but and, and obviously I ended up picking Purdue, but O'Connell has been turnover prone. And so if that had happened, this game goes the other way. It didn't. And they end up getting the, the massive upset. 
Absolutely. O'Connell was awesome. David Bell was awesome. Those two guys really led the way for Purdue. And on the other end, the superstar for Michigan State, Kenneth Walker, he had a good game, not a great game. And I want to give the Purdue defense a lot of credit because we've talked about that unit as being good this year. And hey, you're not going to stop Kenneth Walker in all likelihood unless you're a phenomenal, phenomenal defense. But they held him in check. 22 carries, 136 yards, and a touchdown. That's a great day for a lot of backs out there. But for Kenneth Walker this year, you know, that's a good day, not an awesome day. And that's another portion of what helped Purdue get this win. Yeah, Michigan State needed him to to be a little bit better. But he's like you said, he still performed really, really well just not up to maybe the Heisman standard that he had been performing at. Definitely. Alan, another game that we need to talk about, one where you were on the right side of it and I was on the wrong side, Texas A&M over Auburn 20-3. to Man, it sounds like it was a dominant performance. In some ways it was. Texas A&M outgained Auburn by over 150 yards in this game. But, man, this was a 3-3 game at halftime. It was 6-3 Texas A&M with a few minutes to go in the third quarter. And it was 9-3 A&M with still 13 minutes to go in the game in the fourth quarter before uh, there was a turnover return for a touchdown, setting up Texas A&M for a multi-score win. But, man, this was a tough one to pick as well. You got four points on it. I had Auburn at a two. Uh, disappointing for me, but for a long, long time, this game felt like it could have gone potentially either way. Absolutely. Without the scoop and score, you know, this is a one possession game or maybe a a 12 to three type of game, right? 20 to three is very much misleading. The reason I went with the the Aggies is in these kind of matchups where both defenses are good, I go with the home team. And, um, Bo Nix consistently has struggled on the road. A&M's defense is really, really good. And um, I I just imagined that Calzada at at home would be able to do just enough. And it was going to be barely just enough without that fumble return for a touchdown to make it 17 to three in the fourth quarter. So as you said, I mean, even though, a&M wildly outgained Auburn without that fumble recovery. This was a really, really tight game and so deserved to be in that lower third of, of the board. Yeah, definitely. I agree completely with that. It's it's just one that was tough, man. I really wish I'd gone with my gut because when the picks were initially released by ESPN early in the week, my initial instinct was to go with Texas A&M. And as I looked at things more... I, I understand that historically Bo Nix has not been great on the road. This year, I think he's been a little bit better. And I I kind of put mm-hmm. some stock in that, just thinking, man, do I really want to trust you know Zach Calzada in this game in which Auburn's defense might have some success against Texas A&M, a low-scoring battle? I kind of went with the quarterback that I think has played a more complete season to this point. But Auburn's defense was not able to stand up against the run very well. That's one of my takeaways in this game. The combination of Isaiah Spiller and Devon A-Chain for Texas A&M had 31 carries for 210 yards. Dominant man out of the backfield. This Texas A&M team can really run the ball, and it cost Auburn big time in trying to you know, play a defensive low-scoring game. Yeah, exactly. Just a tight, tight game and a tight finish. And both defenses are legit, but that A&M defense has just, just got a, an extra little oomph to him, if you will. 
Definitely so. Alan, let's bump over to another game in which we had differences in the sides we took. This is the final one where we were different on our boards. I took Oklahoma State at a five. You took West Virginia at a three. And the Cowboys, man, that defense is legit. They come through again, 24-3 to over West Virginia. This was one of your value picks, and I understood it. Uh, but by the end of the week, I had told you that on the podcast that I wasn't really sure where I was going to go. I thought it was Oklahoma State, but I found some confidence in the Cowboys in this matchup. And they won big, but again, I think this would be a little bit of a deceptive score just because Oklahoma State really didn't do a ton offensively. They were just able to get the separation needed, and they shut down West Virginia's offense. It was a remarkable defensive performance. So the same principle that led me to pick A&M led me to pick West Virginia, right? When you've got two good defenses at, at home, uh, I, I, I typically like the, the home team to be able to make it happen. My goodness, though, they held West Virginia to 133 total yards. I honestly don't know that I've ever seen something like that from a home team. Um, Jarrett Dagey had an interception, but it was a, a late, like, fourth quarter interception. It was just that they shut him down. They couldn't do anything on them, and it wasn't that Spencer Sanders was overwhelmingly great. He just did enough. He did have at least two touchdowns, but only on 182 yards. So this this came down to the fact that it was a field position game that Oklahoma State was able to muddy up and just do enough. And like you said, 24 to three, this was a, you know, up until middle of the fourth quarter, it was a 17 to three game, pretty tight. Um, So the two turnovers from West Virginia and not being able to do anything offensively just killed them. And I just, just, you know, in front of God and everybody just laid an absolute egg on that pick. (laughs) It's all right, man. And I think the philosophy made a lot of sense. But that defense for Oklahoma State was killer. Man, they shut down the backfield for West Virginia. Luddy Brown and Tony Mathis combined for just 15 carries and 49 yards on the ground. Absolutely dominant there. And you mentioned the 133 total yards from West Virginia. Get this, man. West Virginia opened up this game with a 64-yard drive. They kicked a field goal, went up 3 nothing. You know, that's the only lead of the game. They lost 24-3. to But after that, again, 64 yards on the first drive. The rest of the game, 69 yards absolutely shut down by this Oklahoma State team. Yeah, at the beginning of the game, I'm like, okay, here we go. This feels like it could happen, especially to the point when they actually intercept Spencer Sanders. I'm like, all right, can they cash this in and really get things moving in the right direction and maybe make it 10 to nothing early? But they couldn't. Oklahoma's defense just suffocated them. And that was the kind of the biggest part is, yeah, Spencer Sanders had a couple of touchdowns, but those are really just like on short fade routes. Oklahoma State was able to run the ball, and West Virginia just wasn't. Very true. Alan, for one that we both collected points on, but we were on very different ends of the board to my detriment and to your success, 
UTSA over UTEP 44 to 23. Man, you put nine points on the Roadrunners. It was no doubt from the very beginning. I look like a fool because I came away with only one point on UTSA. I convinced myself that this could be a really close game, and I didn't feel like I had a great indication of who was going to win the game. But UTSA got out early. There were some mistakes on UTEP's side. And before they really got in the game, this lead had just ballooned, and UTSA kind of ran away with this thing. At the half, it was 30 to 9. <laughs> and when that happens, the ball game is is over. And looking in, at UTSA's victories this year, I, I just came away more and more impressed. We went back to that that Memphis game where they stormed back after a really slow start. I liked this team's mental makeup. And quite frankly, in looking at it, I trusted them more than I trusted a lot of the other teams on the board. So that's that's the reason they got pushed up. And it's like they've, they've earned um, my trust and my respect this year even when we've had to pick them. And so I pushed them up my board, and thankfully it it paid off in a rather great fashion, and I certainly needed it. Definitely an emphatic win for UTSA. Sincere McCormick was awesome, as he always is. 21 carries, 169 yards, and a touchdown. As a team, UTSA ran the ball for 275 yards at 6.7 yards a carry. Really just dominant and their win over UTEP. That is really just an impressive game. And this would probably be about my only regret in my pick'em board. Uh, I know that UTSA was favored by 11, favored by a couple of scores. There were a lot of people that collected a lot of points with them. I'm not really mad that I thought it was going to be a close game because UTEP's been pretty good this year. But if I could redo something, man, I, I would at least put UTSA up at maybe like a three or so, collect a couple more points off of those games that I lost that I put up above this team when they were a, a fairly large favorite on our board. But it's understandable, right? Like these are two teams we haven't seen a lot of. It was at UTEP, and when you're kind of trying to sift through how to deal with two teams that we don't have a ton of knowledge of, at least firsthand knowledge of, um, it, it's 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 pretty darn easy to slide them down the board naturally. Yeah, that was definitely where I was with that matchup. I liked UCSA earlier this season, but I had really not much understanding of UTEP other than looking at a couple of box scores and trying to figure out what that team was made of. And uh, this one did not go my way. Alan, for another one that we were both on the right side, Ohio State in a close one, finding a way to beat Nebraska 26 to 17. Man, this one's frustrating to me because this was one of my value picks. I wanted to move Ohio State down. I did. I put the Buckeyes at a six on my board, and I really have absolutely no complaints that I moved them down that far. I know I didn't get rewarded for it because the Buckeyes come away with the win, but I told everyone I thought Nebraska could be in play. I thought Nebraska had the ability to win this game. Late in the fourth quarter, they absolutely did. Fourth and four at the Mm -hmm. Ohio State 13 with over nine and a half minutes to go, only down six. I don't know about your thoughts on it, but Man, the more and more I think about it, I think they should have gone for it rather than kicking a field goal that they ultimately missed. Maybe they could have taken the lead there, and maybe we have a different result in this game. But, man, I love where I had Ohio State on my board at a six. I really don't think that I should have moved them anywhere else. You took Ohio State at an eight, and if they had lost, you and I would have picked up points on people because there were a lot of people with the Buckeyes at nines and tens on their boards, and uh, we nearly got a lot of value with our positioning on this game. And one of the reasons I pushed them down the board a little bit is based off 
some of the comments and us talking through that last week. Nebraska, it is unreal to me that they are three and seven. Like that's almost unfathomable. One and six in the conference. This is a a pretty decent football team. I mean, they play hard and they play well, but they just can't win. It's it's unbelievable, and that's the ultimately the reason that I pushed them up a couple of more spots than you did. I did think that this would be a close game, and I did think that there was a chance potentially that maybe Nebraska could find a way to make it happen. But Nebraska hasn't shown any ability to actually finish a game this year, even though they should have finished several. And so that's the reason, the ultimate reason I pushed Ohio State just up a, a little bit higher than you did. Mm-hmm. Though I, I really liked kind of what you were saying. And that was one of the reasons I didn't have them uh, as a nine or a 10. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. And in retrospect, I, I, I just say, all I can say is, man, I throw my hands up in the air because. I really think I had it played right. I think that I had yeah. everything set up for an upset in this game. Not that yep. I necessarily expected it to happen, but I thought it was in play, and it definitely was. So I like the play. I like where I had it. I wouldn't have moved it anywhere else after seeing what happened on the field because it kind of played out how I thought it would. Yeah, and honestly, both of your value picks you hit on this past week. with you know Even with Ole Miss being essentially all the way in control the whole game against Liberty, even though that game ended up only being a 13-point game. Sure. You know, they had control of that game the entire way. Yeah. One more note for Nebraska, man, that I think is worthy of pointing out. Ohio State was limited to 90 yards rushing in this game. Now, they piled up 495 total, but the passing game was all there was. They only had 90 yards rushing on 30 carries. Man, they were shut down. Travion Henderson did not have a good game, and this Nebraska defense, I think we talked about it last week, they're kind of underrated. They're not phenomenal, but they really did a good job attacking the run game and shutting that down and forcing the passing game for Ohio State to win the game. Yeah, exactly. The, the fact that they were able to limit Travion Henderson and some of some of those Ohio State running backs and running game was really important. But C.J. Stroud was was able to do enough having over 400 yards passing. You already mentioned my other value pick, so let's jump to that game. Allen, Ole Miss beating Liberty 27-14. to This is one that is a little deceptive because Ole Miss did jump out to a big lead, 24-0 at halftime. But, man, they only outgained – Liberty by nine yards in the whole game. Both teams racking up over 450 yards in total offense. And Liberty had some opportunities. They just kind of squandered it away with three turnovers. I, I think they had a fourth down or two that they didn't convert as well. So Ole Miss really had a big cushion in this game and then just hung on as it went on. Yeah, I think they, they kind of let off the gas a little bit in many ways. Malik uh, Willis threw three interceptions. I, I, they were in control of it, and I think at any point probably could have put some more points up on the board. But, you know, against a team like this, it's easy to, to kind of let the foot off the gas if you get off to a, a big lead, which they did, especially after the half. You know, 24 to nothing into half, as you mentioned, it's really quite easy to, to kind of just take your foot off the gas just a little bit, which obviously they did. And the thing is, Liberty's offense is good enough to be able to make people pay for that, but just not enough juice to to really reconnect and make it too close of a game. Definitely. One 
SEC team in complete control in Ole Miss to another SEC team that we thought would be in complete control, Whoa. but man, they were not. Alabama beating LSU 20-14. to Alan, what in the world do you make of the Crimson Tide coming off this six-point victory over LSU when they were four touchdown favorites heading into the weekend? They just kind of looked disengaged, and I, I honestly don't know what to make of it, to be totally honest with you. For Brian Robinson to only have 13 carries for 18 yards seems completely inexcusable. And I think that thing is going to get in Nick Saban's crawl. And, oh, my goodness, he is just going to let that O-line have it all week long. Bryce Young had a good game. This isn't his problem, right? 24-37, 302, and two touchdowns. Um, Again, this wasn't the defense's problem. This was just a fact that overwhelmingly they – were just kind of disengaged and disinterested. And maybe they thought with LSU they'd come in and just roll over. But Bama is not playing their best ball right now. For me, the takeaway is this is now kind of a consistent thing we've seen with Alabama. Man, this is not the typical juggernaut that we have seen out of the Crimson Tide year in, year out. You go back to the Florida game when they were kind of pushed around by Florida in the second half of that game and just hung on for a victory. You go to the Texas A&M game where they were kind of pushed around in the trenches as well. And in this game, you mentioned Brian Robinson, but think about this. Alabama as a team, they finished with six rushing yards on 26 attempts, averaging 0.2 yards per carry. Man, this is something that's troublesome for Alabama, and I think something that's very noteworthy for the pick'em slate as we close out this season. Agree, because you know, you know that you know that you know that we're going to 110% have Bama at least once, if probably twice. And so it's something to, to at least consider and file away that there's some flaws to this team that we haven't seen from a Bama team in a while. The Iron Bowl is coming up. We're very likely to have the SEC championship between Alabama and Georgia. You're right, man. We've got a couple of dates to be looking at with Alabama and to consider, hey, how many points do you want to stick on this team? Because uh, this is not the same program that we've seen you know, year in, year out for such a long time at this point. Not saying they're bad, not saying that you know they're done or anything like that, but this one iteration, this one year, they've definitely got some struggles. Here's the crazy thing. I still think they may be the second best team in the nation, but they are not nearly as dominant as they have been in years past. Yeah, it is certainly possible, and it'll be interesting to find out if they truly are the second best team in the country. But I'm with you. It is a possibility. I'm just not convinced of it right now because we have a bunch of teams uh, that seem to be struggling up at the top of the country. Yeah, that's very, very true. A lot more parity this year, which is kind of nice. Definitely. Alan, another game that we were both on the same side on. We both lobbied a lot of points, but we both ended up on the wrong side. TCU beating Baylor 30-28. to Man, this one was stunning to me. Gary Patterson gets fired. TCU comes out. Guns a-blazing. Chandler Morris, the son of Chad Morris, comes out, gets his first start for TCU, and he went off. 29 of 41 for 461 yards and two touchdowns. 
He also ran the ball for 70 yards, over 500 yards of offense just from the quarterback. Man, this one to me was as stunning as it gets. And I I don't really have a regret on putting Baylor up high because I had no clue that Chandler Morris could come out and play this way. Heck, I didn't even know Max Duggan wasn't going to play in the game. It's just this TCU team had not been good over the last few weeks. And uh, I, I still don't have a regret with where I put it. But man, they outplayed my expectations completely. Give the Horned Frog some credit. Oh, man, it was so bad. Kudos to Jerry Kill. That guy, like, just goes everywhere and, you know, fills in and does a great job. I mean, he's the one that that put Minnesota back on the map, right? He's the only reason that P.J. Fleck would have found that job appealing three or four years ago is because Jerry Kill resurrected that program. Jerry Kill really knows how to coach. I, quite frankly, just didn't think that – that this TCU team had enough juice or interest in playing football to be able to, to make this kind of upset happen. And the craziest thing is that even though they outgained Baylor by, you know, uh, almost 200 yards, Baylor still had a chance to go get that win on the last possession before Bohannon throws his second interception, just a a killer thing. And quite frankly, this game alone will be the reason that Bruce Stubblefield probably ends up with the crown as he had TCU. Um, And what was one of the only ones in the entire group to, to be able to do that. And it wasn't just that he had TCU, but it was that you and I had and other people, many, many other people had Baylor way up high. I mean, I had him at a seven. I was pretty confident going into this game, but I've known Bruce long enough about this that he always has a, a distrust for TCU. And just when you <laughs> they're going to screw somebody, you just don't want it to be you. And this time it was me and you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, definitely so. You had Baylor at a seven. I had the Bears at an eight. Uh, I, I really thought that this game was in the bag going into the week, and I, I felt really good about it again. I don't know that I would really change anything specifically because I think this offense for TCU really operated in a way that it hadn't all year. And I think that's something with Chandler Morris coming in and starting his first game. I think they just flipped the script and changed their entire identity. And they did it in one week where Baylor was expecting one thing. You all of a sudden get something else. And not only did you get something else, but Chandler Morris and Quentin Johnston were performing at an an extremely high level and it's just something that really took Baylor a while to figure out how to how to have any success against so credit to TCU the coaching staff the players for executing but man I I think it's just something that nobody could have predicted yeah agreed and it was one of those things where like TCU didn't even have their best running back playing right because he I'm fairly certain he he may have or is about to be in the portal after all this mess has has gone down and and so because of that, I think his name's Zach Evans, who's been just really really good this year. Yeah, uh, this was just totally out of the blue and a remarkably good win for TCU. Zach Evans, a name to watch. He was a former five star kid coming out of high school. I have not heard the stuff about the transfer portal like you mentioned. I don't know if he's there or will be soon, but that'll be something to definitely watch out for because he's a super talented kid and has been good this season. Uh, definitely leading up to this game. Yeah, and we'll be able to go wherever he wants, right? He's he's a guy that if he's in the portal, he can ride his own ticket to pretty much anywhere. Maybe. We'll see. He uh, He's an interesting case, I know, because coming out of high school, 
I think he was committed maybe to a couple of different schools at different times, and then he delayed his commitment and his signing till way, way after signing day. It was a big ordeal, and I think a lot of schools lost trust of him. So did I, he not? Did he not even like enroll at Georgia? Yeah, or like something like that. Like something, something like that. Crazy yeah, like that. Uh, I re- I remember him just being a kind of an oddball recruitment. Somebody had to let him out of enrolling in a, in classes or something like that and had to give him permission to go to another school because he was already tied into financial aid or something like that. There was, there was some ridiculous pattern to what went down with him, and I, I really do think there are a lot of schools that were very, very skeptical of him after, after weeks and then months of dealing with it because I think it was deep into the spring, well past the February signing date, uh, before he actually finally committed to TCU. Yeah, and I remember Jeremy Pert recruiting him a, a good bit, and God knows how much cash that he was offering him to come <laughs> up there. Since was, all of his best players um, were clearly being paid and then left immediately as soon as he was fired. Man, don't you wish that Zach Evans had taken those Happy Meals to get uh, some cash in his pocket to go to yes, Knoxville. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, the final game we need to talk about is Oregon over Washington 26-16. to And man, I'll go ahead and say it. I think this is another score that's a little deceptive. It was a 10-point game, but you look at the stats on this game, Oregon outgained Washington 427-166. to this was a value pick on your end. You took Oregon at a five. I ended up taking the Ducks at a seven. But man, outside of an early lead that for Washington that was set up by a defensive uh, turnover, setting up a short field, and then a safety, there was absolutely no offense for Washington. And Oregon, though they didn't score a lot, they were certainly in control of most of this game, even though it took a long time for them to gain the lead. Yeah, exactly. This is very similar in a lot of ways, to that Oklahoma State-West Virginia game in, in regards to the fact that Washington only managed 166 yards of offense. I mean, that, that's pitiful. It's putrid. And there's a reason the, most of the offensive staff of Washington is gone. And maybe Jimmy Lake may be gone if, you know, if he decides he wants to, to smack somebody else across the head in the helmet. Um, but this wasn't a game where Anthony Brown was the deciding factor, the quarterback for Oregon. He had less than 100 yards throwing the football. Um, this wasn't a defensive problem for, for Washington. They were not able to stop the run. Travis Dye just really made a huge impact on this game with over 200 yards rushing. And so slowly but surely, they were able to climb into the lead and then to grow that lead over the course of the game to get it to the point that it was 26-16. The Oregon Ducks ran for 329 yards, 5.9 yards a carry. If you remember, Alan, that was the thing I pointed to you when you mentioned dropping Oregon in value against Washington. That was the one aspect of Washington's defense that I pointed out. Giving up the run is why it led me to taking Oregon at a 7 in this one. But, man, it was a convincing win for the Ducks, even if the score didn't say so. I know that some people kind of mentioned, you know, oh, Oregon's struggling again. But, I mean, really, honestly, that interception early and then the safety, Washington led this game 9-3 to with only 15 yards of offense to that point. Just ridiculous that they led that early yeah. in the game with that good of a start uh, because otherwise you're talking about this thing being like a 24-7. to I know that Oregon got a safety in there as well, but I think you're really talking about this game ultimately being like a 24-7 to if you take out that hot start by Washington with their defense setting them up in a good spot. 
Agreed. All right, Alan. We wrap up this Pick'em Rewind, and we get ready for a new episode coming next with a Pick'em Pod. There we'll have a couple of value picks for you and things you can do for us to set us up in a better spot moving forward. You can follow us on social media at The Blackout Pod on Facebook and Twitter, and you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Those things help us a bunch, and we see those five-star reviews coming in regularly. We thank you all for doing that. Alan, coming up next is the Pick'em Pod. We've got some value picks for people. Hopefully, we set people up in a good spot here on Week 11 as we run down the last four weeks of the season, setting up to win those prizes that we have up for grabs with the Blackout. Yeah, I'm excited to to see how everything goes down the stretch. Those ratings and reviews really help us, though. We we look forward to jumping in on the next episode. Absolutely. We will go out of here on that note, and we'll jump into the Pick and Pod coming up right here next on The Blackout. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here.